Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we started a two-part series on forgiveness that needs to run about 10 weeks, but uh, I didn't plan it that well. And uh, out of all the sermons I've ever preached at this church, last week's probably started more conversations and got more feedback from me personally than any I've ever done. And so there's two possibilities when that happens. One is, I wasn't very clear and... uh, Folks were confused, and that is definitely part of what happened with some. The other part of it could be that Jesus' teaching on this subject is so radical, and it's something we're not used to hearing, that we have trouble hearing it. So those two possibilities. Notice the third possibility was, I could be wrong, but I didn't say that one, because I do not believe I am on this. So... I think perhaps I wasn't as clear as I had hoped to be and, and, and with some of the conversations I've had with folks, that seems to be the case and there need to be some clarification. Uh, but I also think in talking with some folks that it is just not a teaching that is common in our day and age. So uh, let me give a thumbnail sketch of last Sunday in case you weren't here and you can figure out what on earth we're talking about. We looked at a passage of scripture that Jesus uh, teaches in Luke chapter 17, verse 3. And he says, if someone sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Did you hear the two conditional clauses? If they sin against you, rebuke them. And so the teaching last week was this idea that when somebody sins against us, it is the ball is in our court to go to them and confront them with their sin. It's not in their court to come to you and apologize. However, there's other passages of scripture where Jesus does teach that, that if you remember that you have hurt somebody and you are at the temple giving your uh, sacrifice, meaning you're at church and it's a big day at church, it's an important service and you are there and you remember that you have hurt somebody else, offended somebody else, sinned against somebody else, Jesus would tell you, get up, leave church, go make things right. Then come back and worship. In other words, your worship doesn't matter if your heart's not in the right place with everyone. So the easy way to put this is that whenever we sin against somebody or whenever we're sinned against, the ball is in our court. Always. Notice how that works. If somebody sins against us or we sin against somebody, it's always up to you to do something about it. Funny experience of mine is... I don't do that. Interesting experience of yours. You probably don't either. We typically sit around and wait for somebody to come and ask us for their forgiveness. We typically sit around or we go and we talk behind a person's back when they've hurt us. Or we sit and get bitter when they've hurt us. But Jesus says, be active. Don't be passive. Be Active in love, don't be passive aggressive. Now, this passage in Luke 17, Jesus says, rebuke the person. And if they repent, 
forgive them. So the other half of what I was communicating last week is that there are those times when people do not repent, correct? It's a conditional clause. If they repent, forgive them. There will be folks who don't repent. And it appears because of the conditional clause, Jesus is saying, you're not on the hook to forgive folks who haven't repented. You're always on the hook to rebuke. You're always on the hook to apologize, ask forgiveness. But when you've done that and the person doesn't repent, you are not on the hook to forgive, says Jesus. Now, that's not a common teaching because we often think that we forgive for our sake. Because if we hold things against people, it's going to build in us. We're going to get angry. We're going to get bitter. We're going to become mean, nasty people. And Oprah says we should forgive people so we don't become that. And that's true. So how do we deal with that? Well, last week I shared with you a, a scripture from Romans 12 that says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, the good King James. He does the repaying, not us. So... When we don't forgive, it's not like we're just waiting for them to mess up and we're hoping for the worst in their lives. In fact, we treat them as an enemy. And how did Jesus say to treat enemies? Love them. In fact, that passage in Romans 12, love your enemy, feed them, clothe them, take care of them, pray for their best. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. Now, as I thought about this, and as I'm going to try to clarify some of this, there's another passage of scripture I want us to go to. It is a twin passage to the Luke 17 passage. It's in Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus outlines how we should go about this idea of confronting somebody because we didn't unpack that a whole lot. And then he also gives us what I will call tough love boundaries when somebody doesn't repent. You see... Many people in the discussions I had are worried. Well, if we love them, then that seems like we just brush it under the rug. Like everything's good and peachy and fine and dandy. And that's not what the scriptures are teaching. And other people were worried. Well, if I don't forgive, if I don't give up this debt, then I'm going to become mean and nasty. And that's not what the teacher, the the scriptures teach either. So in Matthew 18, we're going to take a look at this. In Matthew 18, verse 15, it says this. If a brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault. Just between the how many of you? The two of you. Very similar to Luke 17, is it not? Rebuke them. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is how you rebuke. You go and you point out the fault to them. To just them. Not to their mama, not to their grandmama, not to anyone else, just them. Jesus says, if somebody has hurt you, has sinned against you, go point out the fault to them. And if they listen to you, again, conditional clause, right? If, see that word, if there, it means a lot. If they listen to you, you have won them over. In other words, I think what he's saying is if they ask for forgiveness then forgive them. You've won them over. They see it as you see it. They confess. You're right. I'm wrong. They agree with you. They ask for forgiveness. You forgive them. 
Now, Jesus is the smartest guy that ever lived. You may not believe that. I totally believe that. Jesus is the smartest guy that ever lived. And so he anticipated your next question. What if they don't confess their sin? What if they don't admit it? What if I don't win them over? Well, Jesus kept talking. He says this, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. Take one or two others along so that, quote, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He's quoting the Old Testament. And he's saying that matters had to be established by more than one person. There had to be witnesses. And there's a discussion amongst biblical scholars as to what the witnesses are witnessing. Some argue that the witnesses have witnessed the sin against you. Trouble is, there's a lot of sin that happens that nobody else sees, right? So I think that's a difficult translation or understanding interpretation of this passage. I think it's better to see it as they witness the confrontation. They go and hear your claims against this person. And they're kind of the referees. They're kind of there to help sort things out. Question, has anybody ever done this? Is Jesus off his rocker here to encourage us to go find somebody who will help us confront somebody? <laughs> it happens all the time. Usually folks come to me or a counselor in our day and age. We pay these folks uh, sometimes to help us confront others, right? In fact, when I do premarital counseling, because premarital counseling, they're not listening to me anyways because they're in love and it's kind of, you know. And I, I tell them that. I'm like, I'd rather see you six months after the wedding than six months before. Because six months after, the gloves have come off and she has not had makeup on a few times and it's a whole different experience. And six months after, you know what you got into. Six months before, you don't have a clue. And six months after, I tell them, if you ever need help, if you ever need a ref, it's one of those arguments, one of those discussions. And you know what those are like, right? Married people. I mean, those that just keep coming around and around and around and around. And after 19 years, it's still coming around and around and around and around. And, and then you go off to a, a marriage retreat. And there are referees there to help you go around and around. Instead of going around and around, you might actually go in another place because you figured out a new way to deal with it. But Jesus is aware that we need help sometimes. We need folks to come into some of these twisted relationships we have and to help bring some clarity to the situation for us help bring some gravity to the situation for us because sometimes when we when we confront somebody that's ah, no big deal what are you making this a big deal for sorry big deal but when we bring in somebody else now it's exposed now they have to do something about it Jesus understands that principle because he's the smartest guy that ever lived. He says, bring some friends. Talk to them. 
He's also really smart. He also realizes that sometimes even that's not enough. And so he goes on and says in verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, they still won't listen to you and your buddies who show up. Tell it to the who? Church. So instead of joys and concerns time, there's now sin confrontation time at the church, I guess. I'm not sure how this will work out in our modern day church somehow, but uh, this is what Jesus says. Tell it to the church. And if they refuse, the, the person that you're confronting, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Which means what? Make fun of them, kick them. No, no, no. Which means you treat them how Jesus taught tax collectors. Jesus had dinner with tax collectors. Jesus encouraged tax collectors to follow him. Now, the interesting thing that he chose tax collectors as the example, as he chose pagans as the example, these are people who are outside of the faith. They have so chosen to put themselves outside of the Jewish faith in that day and age. They are on purpose sinners. Okay. They're trying to sit. They are on, they are intentionally breaking God's rules. They are in rebellion and everybody knows about it. That's what a tax collector, that's what a pagan is in this context. Jesus is saying that if they won't listen to you and repent when you confront them, if they won't listen to you and your buddies when you, when you rebuke them, if they won't repent even when the church, then they are on purpose sinners. They are intentional sinners. They are trying to rebel. And they're succeeding. And now there's boundaries right there's boundaries now this is what i was not very clear at last time because i got some uh feedback from folks well how many times do you rebuke them how often do you have to you know do you like every time you see them you're like and you just let them have it and then you know i mean how does this work well let's build some scenarios some what-ifs young woman has uh, had a rocky relationship with her father most of her life. In fact, her father is a, there's no other way to put it. He's an evil person. He's been physically abusive towards her. He's hit her again and again and repeatedly. What is she to do? This young woman is not a follower of Jesus when she's a child. The, church, the, the family doesn't go to church. They don't have any connection with any kind of faith whatsoever. They're just good Americans. And dad is beating his daughter behind closed doors. Nobody knows what's going on. This daughter moves out college years, gets away from dad. But she realizes she's very broken inside. There's scars and there's wounds and there's pain and it's difficult to trust men. It's difficult to date because of the abuse and the beatings and the pain. And she goes to a friend and she starts talking about what happened to her. And her friend is a follower of Jesus. Her friend starts taking her to some 
activities of these other followers of Jesus participate in. And, and she starts hearing about this idea of forgiveness. And first she experiences it in her own life that she has been forgiven of her sins. And she accepts Christ as her Savior and as her Lord. And she experiences being made new. But there's still this relationship with dad. He's still paying the bills for school. So she can't just cut off the relationship. She still has to talk to him on the phone, go back at the holidays. It's strained. It's painful. The beatings have stopped, but the history of the beatings are still there. The wounds, they're not physical any longer. They're emotional. They're spiritual. And it's been difficult for her to hear God as father. Because she thinks, well, my dad beat me. What does she do with this? Well, if you were to apply Jesus' teaching on this, it's very clear what must be done. The young woman must confront her father. Doesn't say how. Could be a letter. But it has to be between the two of them. The young woman confronts her dad and dad denies it. Sounds like something could happen there, right? That seems plausible. Dad denies that he ever hit her. Dad denies that this ever happened. She has not won him over. She has not. He has not agreed with her and he has not. Agreed with. Her testimony. What does she do? Every time she sees him, she has to bring this up with dear old dad. Every time she's around him. Well, isn't there pain already there without saying anything? This is the interactive part of the sermon. Would you say that there's pain there? I mean, every time she sees him, every time perhaps she thinks about him, there is pain there. Every time. And you're saying, don't forgive him. Well, that's what Jesus says. Don't forgive him. Because if you forgive him, the problem is you might just be brushing this under the carpet and there's still a live issue on the table. And it's okay for people to be uncomfortable around you when they've hurt you. Did you know that? It is completely okay for people to be uncomfortable around you who have hurt you. And are unrepentant. People were uncomfortable around Jesus. You know, Jesus gets a bad rap. He's thought of as a nice guy. And he wasn't. He was a good man. And there's a huge difference between a nice guy and a good man. And people are uncomfortable around goodness. How does a nice guy get killed anyways? On a cross as a criminal. He was a good man and he made evil people uncomfortable. Good and evil are at odds and it's okay to make people who have treated you poorly, uncomfortable, who have not repented when confronted. It's totally okay. This young girl then has to come up with some boundaries around her relationship with dear old dad. 
Now, he's not a Christian, so this whole passage doesn't apply. Because you can't take him to church because he doesn't go. (laughs) It probably isn't going to be helpful to bring two or three more witnesses in. You could perhaps bring somebody else in. But let's say his denial continues. He does not admit what he's done. Then she puts boundaries around her relationship with dad. This is what we in our day and age call tough love. This is what we in our day and age through uh, lots of parenting books out there through it's tough love. It's boundaries because if she goes and just treats dad like nothing happened, he thinks she's bought his lie, but he's still on the hook. For his actions. He's on the hook with her. He's definitely on the hook with God. Would you not agree? If he's not on the hook with God, then God's not just. God's not good. God is a sicko. If he lets people like this off. So for her to treat dad like nothing happened is what we call in our day and age denial. It's never healthy. So she puts up boundaries around dad. Perhaps that looks like, you know what, whenever whenever the conversation turns at a certain point in my conversation with him on the phone, I'm just going to say, dad, love you. Got to go. Maybe she can't say, dad, I love you. Maybe she's just, dad, I got to go. Maybe she doesn't go back home as often or as much. Maybe she says, I'm going to pay for college on my own. Because that's just another hook that dad's got in her. But at some point she has to set up boundaries with him. Because if she doesn't, it's encouraging more sin. Love requires boundaries. Love hates evil and rejoices with the truth. First Corinthians 13. Said at all kinds of weddings. Love hates evil and rejoices with the truth. And so for us to be loving Jesus followers with those who have sinned against us, the loving thing is to allow them to experience the consequences of their behavior. Is that clear? Do I need to say it again? I'll say it again. Sin creates death everywhere. Sin creates death and destruction, and it destroys and brings death to relationships. That's the consequence of sin. The Bible says it's the wages of sin. It's what's earned. When somebody sins against you, there is a death. Right? Has anybody experienced this or is this just me? When somebody sins against us, there is a death. It just happens. It's you reap what you sow. You sow sin, you reap death. It just happens. There's no stopping it. And so when you reap sin, there's death. And it's totally, when you sow sin, there's death. And it's okay for you to allow the consequences to play out. Do you know who else does this? God, your father. Anybody ever done anything stupid? 
led to some consequences? How many of you prayed, oh, Jesus, please intervene. Please help. Please keep this from. And God goes, you're on your own, buddy. Now, I'll forgive you. Happy to do that. But, yeah, the wheels are going to come off because you're a knucklehead. Yeah, there's going to be consequences because you sinned. Now, I really wish it didn't work like this. Don't you? We all wish it didn't work like this. We all wish we could do whatever we wanted and God would not allow the consequences to happen. We all wish we could get away with whatever we wanted and nobody would know. No one would find out and it wouldn't even be mocking to God. He would just be okay with it because he's like a senile old man who's at the end of the day just going, did you have a good time? That's not a good, just, right God. That's it's not a God I want to worship and serve. Think about your children. When kids mess up, there are consequences. There has to be. Sometimes parents short-circuit this process by intervening. And when we do that, we do a disservice to our children. Sometimes, though, kids experience the full-blown consequences of their actions, and that's a good thing. Simple one. Brushing your teeth. Some of my children don't like that. They think mom and dad are ogres and mean people requiring teeth to be brushed. Now, we don't go so far as to hold them down and brush their teeth, although there are moments, sometimes you feel that way, but we have gotten a little stern with it and said, hey, if you have some cavities, you get to pay for them. I don't have a job. (laughs) You'll have one someday and we will garnish your wages. (laughs) So far, nobody owes us any money for cavities. But you reap what you sow, and one day, cavities will happen. Now, it's one thing to get cavities if you're brushing every night. That happens. Just does. It's a whole other thing of never brushing your teeth and getting cavities. There's a consequence there. Total natural confidence. Consequence. I can't even influence that consequence as a parent. I can't go argue with the dentist. Oh, he doesn't have any cavities. You can't flunk my child on the cavities test, you know. It's like, no, I'm sorry. He's got cavities. You're going to pay for them. Or we can pull the tooth. You see, this happens in all aspects of life. And we are encouraged throughout Scripture to let the consequences of people's behavior towards us play out. So this dear old dad who's hurt his daughter, there's consequences. That relationship is broken, it is strained, and it may even end. And Jesus would say, that is okay. Because there is sin and death there. And you're just allowing the natural consequences to play out. 
And ultimately, if we continue in relationship with this person, if we, if we just act like nothing's happened, we become bitter. We become angry. And Jesus said, you got to treat him like a tax collector or a pagan. You've got to establish there's a boundary there, isn't there? They're different than you. They are rebellious. They are not wanting to admit that they are wrong, that they've hurt you. You've got to just say, all right, I'm going to keep my distance. You are not safe. You are not repentant. I cannot be in relationship with you like I used to. Now, we do this normally. You've all done this. You probably just do it, didn't do it in the right order. And maybe you didn't even bother with the order. You see, for most of us, if somebody hurts us, we just skip the rebuke part. And we skip the repent part. And we skip the forgive part. And we just go to the boundary death part. You are dead to me. Like the Shark Tank. Anybody ever watch Shark Tank? You refuse this deal, you're dead to me. And for some of us, if somebody wrongs us, they're dead to us. As a Christian, we can't do that. That can't be the way we go. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're completely off the hook. You can do that with all of us. But Jesus, to Christians, say, if somebody sins against you, confront them. Here's how you do that. Do it alone. Do it with two people. Take them to church. If they don't listen, boundary time. Boundary. The boundary can be natural consequences of their behavior. The boundary can be artificial consequences like not going to talk to you, not going to deal with you, but I'm going to keep praying for you. Ultimately, it's handing them over to Jesus and trusting that Christ will make all things right someday. It's not your job to make everything right. Did you know that? Some of you need to hear that because some of the interactions I had with people, you think you're on the hook hook to make everything right with everybody. Jesus, that's his job. God, that's his job to make everything right with the world, to make everything right with your relationships. He's not on the hook to do it now. But one day the scriptures talk about the judgment. Every single person in here, every single person you've ever laid eyes upon, every single person who has ever lived is living or will live, will face the judgment of God. Every one of us. And all of us will stand before God someday. And we will, as the scriptures say, give an account for every action, every word, everything we have ever done. The scriptures also go on and say, every thought, every motive, All will be laid bare before God and the world. All the deeds that are done in darkness will be brought into the light. All of us will stand before Jesus in judgment. Everybody. Is that clear? Because I wasn't very clear sometimes last week. And if somebody sinned against you. 
How you handled that will be laid out for everyone to see. And if you followed Matthew 18, gone to them, brought somebody else in, took it to the church. You're in the clear. But guess who's not? The person that sinned against you. They're not in the clear. Question, do you want to be that person? All of us will stand before Christ and give account. Well, I've got the blood of Jesus trump card. Yeah, it's a little bit of a trump card. I mean, at some level, but this is a judgment for believers because the scriptures say there's a judgment for believers too. So how are you going to handle those broken, fractured relationships in your life? How are you going to handle those people who, no matter what you say, continue to sin against you, to hurt you? I had a friend. This will close. Her husband was an abusive man. Great guy. Loved him. But he was a different person when he was just with her, his wife. And he would beat her. He would physically uh, beat her. He would sexually assault her. And she followed Jesus and loved Jesus. And so did he. So we thought. And she went to her pastor. I worked with her on a staff at a church. She went to the pastor and over a course of several months she realized that she had to place a boundary on the marriage. In fact, his actions were in violation of the marriage covenant. The marriage contract was broken. It was severed by his actions. And over time, she realized, I've got to get away from him. And so she ultimately left him. And ultimately divorced him. Now God hates divorce. It says in Malachi. But in the exact same verse it says God hates a man who clothes himself in violence. And she just let the natural consequence of his behavior play out in his life. If you are in abusive relationship. Of any kind. It's okay to have the natural consequences play out. If you have been sinned against and you've confronted the person and they will not repent. It's okay to allow the natural consequences to play out. If you have talked to somebody with somebody else present. And they refuse to repent. It's okay for the natural consequences to play out. And if ever somebody is brought into the church. Before me, before the elders. And we have to deal with sin at that level. It's okay for us as a church. To let the natural consequences play out. All we're doing is modeling our heavenly father to this world. By doing this. 
So, some of you look like it's not clear anymore. Some of you look like it's very clear. I don't want to leave this as this abstract thing. I want to come close to where you're at. What are you going to do about this? If you've sinned against somebody or if someone has sinned against you, the ball is in your court. What are you going to do with that ball? How are you going to play it? How are you going to proceed? Are you going to do it the way the wisest man that ever lived says to do it? Or are you going to keep trying to do it your way? How are you going to move forward? The deck, the cards are in your hand to play. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, you know I have bathed this in a lot of prayer this week. So I just ask that uh, anything foolish or goofy or misleading that was said would be forgotten and fall away. But anything that was spoken that is right and true and is in line with your word would be seared upon us like a brand. For those who may have sweaty palms and are nervous about what they need to do next, Holy Spirit, empower them and guide them. For those of us who may in the coming few hours or days or weeks be confronted with ways we've hurt folks, help us to have a repentant heart. For those of us who have the guts to rebuke, to admit our mistakes, help us to have a forgiving spirit. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Jesus is your model. Jesus is your example. Follow him. Do what the master does. Amen.